The pearl, nestling, not wrestling. I began this piece 12 hours before it should have winged its way to you. It is strange indeed to start writing for you so late in the week. Usually a piece is finished a minimum of two days before I post it, and I have had a chance to edit, refine, record and re-edit. But it does not matter. As much has been percolating this week, in amongst so much joy of working with Bright Earths, recipes and methods for my next book, and for teaching online this and last week. Also amongst so much woe regarding the depths to which people are sinking in their dehumanisation of who they insist is the other. I enjoyed reading a piece by Jack Lee, which inspired my original thoughts for this piece. The link is in the text. In addition to this, a week in contact with dear colleague Charlotte Ducan, discussing plans for our next workshop and how to craft a good container for what needs carrying across, means there is a wild ferment going on in this organism, for which I am glad. So, I hope you will see this piece as a fresco, a la prima, rather than as a well-crafted oil painting. I'll just dive in. The Dragon In the Taoist classics, dragons signify many things, depending on context. But the one I want to talk about is the sky dragon as the spirit of nature and the nature of spirit. In many Chinese artefacts and art, you will see a joyful, sinuous dragon, mouth open, wide eyes and wider smile, front legs outreaching with all its energy towards its goal, the pearl. What is this pearl? Well, talking of it with my old friend and Tai Chi teacher Muck Roudfer this weekend, he raised his eyebrows and smiled. Ah, the mysterious pearl of great value. What it often represents is true wisdom. How the dragon is portrayed shows us how we too could gather all our vitality, energy and spirit to pursue this great prize. That this is our true nature. But our vitality is drained by the dopamine cycle. Our energy is wasted chasing complicated accoutrements and enervating experiences, which cannot replace simply being at home on the earth, which we ancestrally crave. Our spirits are tranquilized by fake ritual, which numbs but never kills our longing for connection with each other, the living world and great mystery. Grit at the centre. Diamonds are transparent, extremely tough, and are prized for their purity. Conversely, pearls are cloudy, have grit at their centre, and must be handled rather carefully. Gemstones are created underground in heat and under huge pressure. Pearls are made by fleshy creatures, attempting not to be ripped to shreds by that which they cannot escape. In Tai Chi pushing hands, we are by turn like oysters and grit. When we push, we are providing the grit for our partner to work with. Moments later, those roles reverse. This sounds very sweet and lovely, and sometimes it is. Other times, the grit is real. After almost an hour pushing with that person who just wants to control everything, tell us what we are doing is wrong give lots of unsolicited advice, and then alternately lash out and block exactly how they said not to. 
even worse. Sometimes that person is us. After five or six years, that gritty classmate is a pleasure to push with, not necessarily because they've changed much, although they might have. Instead, we have put layers of pearl over that difficulty that once irritated us. We changed, thanks to them being a tricky customer. Now we seek out the challenge to see if we can grow that pearl a little. How do we do this? Not by ejecting the problem or running away from it. Galling though it is at first, we attempt to stay in close contact with what we'd like to reject. The pearl's opaque beauty is formed slow layer upon layer by tolerating and living alongside that which is not self or, psychologically, sometimes that which is unwanted and unintegrated in the self therefore not recognised as part of the self. As the Taoist classics constantly say, this truly is not easy. At first, it actively inflames us. It is only by somehow bearing the proximity of the irritant and making it not not a self, in other words, integrating it, that we gain any wisdom. The busy town we live in the noisy neighbours, the awful politicians, the machine, the military-industrial complex, the PMC, the liberals, the conservatives, your boss. Insert your particular everyday irritation that is certainly not ourselves. I thought of both my and Jack's ongoing, not necessarily chosen, city lives. My heart said to me this week, What if we are in exactly the right places to do our practice and develop some wisdom? My grandmaster used to advise, nestle in closer, don't pull away. The push will follow your retreating mind and you'll end up chased by trouble. When we don't pull away from the unsatisfactory conditions of life, it reveals itself to us. This knowing can be bodily, it doesn't always come in words. Nestle closer in until we are not two, as John Kells put it. Neither pushing away, nor blocking, nor running away, not ejecting, not denying what's happening. Growing a pearl often involves getting closer to that difficult thing. The pearl. Apparently, heaven is also a pearl of great price. Whether the pearl we seek is Sophia or heaven we can infer that both are as close as our nearest and most pressing difficulty. Wisdom is in the mind and the body and can be accessed via joy, via pain, via any long, slow apprehension of the real, via immersion in the sea, in family, long companionship, in duty well executed. Wherever we are not in control, wisdom gleaned via reading, must be metabolised and enacted, otherwise it is only half-baked. Like unfired clay, it will be prone to disintegrate when tasked with containing something hot. So what is stopping us becoming the medieval mystic, Sufi saint, Taoist sage, cryptic citizen, hedge-bothering oddfellow we are being called to become? Nothing, including where we happen to be. I always like Pema Chodron's exhortation to start where you are. 
and the greatest stillness is the stillness found in movement, say the Tai Chi classics. There's some characteristically straight-talking advice from Louis Ming. I paraphrase. Nothing deserves our contempt more than the man who leaves his family and responsibilities to practice meditation in a mountain hermitage. The best meditation is done in the midst of ordinary life. Silence. This week, I have experienced so much spaciousness, so much silence, considering I live in a huge town in a block of flats. No flatmate this week, and only a boat-dwelling Taoist for one day's enjoyable company. I have been writing my book, one day to go, and I will have handed in the first draft. Lots of work with earth, making pastels, creating grounds for drawing, devising simple vegan alternatives to ancient animal-based art materials, so more people can go plastic paint free. I read Max Picard's The World of Silence, written in 1952. It was apt and very good, except for the sections on the body and gesture, where the tone was markedly different. The silence we feel we want, that will give us ease and relaxation, is external. The true silence we seek is within. I have tinnitus, so my personal experience of silence is never silent. The deepest I can abide in silence is when I am by the seashore, as the sound of the waves dithers and masks the sounds produced internally by my auditory system and it is extremely peaceful for me. I used to let it bother me, but it doesn't irritate anymore, though it has objectively got somewhat worse. Yet, right now as I write, with the flat upstairs playing their TV so loud I can almost follow the film's dialogue, I feel that my words are emerging from the week's silence. The silence is not being disrupted by noise. This is interesting. I hope we can nestle closer in to what we are unconsciously pulling away from and thereby begin to grow a pearl right here in amongst all the stacked lives, bleeping devices and electromagnetic hum. I will be interested to know about your experiences of oblique hermitage, that is, meditative or prayerful practice, in amongst the everyday hubbub of life. To all of you listening to this, good luck.